Hello everyone. Welcome to Canadian Meets the South, episode four. We'll be continuing with the previous episode's topic, The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government by Jefferson Davis, volume two. So this uh, volume picks up from where the last volume took off from the the war between the states or the quote-unquote civil war and Jefferson Davis uh, talks a lot about uh, the different battles that were fought during the war between the states or the war for southern independence and He also talks about a lot of the atrocities that happened during the war. Uh, A lot of private property was destroyed and uh, um, by the North, a lot of Southern property and many women and children who were non-combatants suffered under this war and he goes into um the small account of general sherman's destructive rampage when he entered atlanta i think and also charleston um i might not be remembering that correctly but For one of the cities, he gave them, I think, five days until for for the women and children to evacuate before he could use the the city as as a base. And they would, uh, the the northern armies would plunder the the cities. And uh, many women and children were left to die because they they had no property there. They're... their homes and their livestocks and their clothes they were taken from them from their houses from from their land and many christian pastors suffered as well um just for being southerners there uh one guy it was one account that Jefferson Davis brings up of a, I believe, a Lutheran minister who was very badly injured because there was um, a soldier who had demanded to to give him the to give him some gold or something. Where the where was he was asking where were the riches or. Something like that, and he didn't. The, the, the pastor didn't know, and he got his arm severely wounded by a sword. And then later, <laughs> that that officer who who wounded him with the sword um, pleaded with him not to report him to any of the generals and. The, the, Luth- the Lutheran 
minister was uh, silent. I mean, he he made sure not to say it because he was showing mercy on on him. But um, yeah, many Christian churches were were ransacked um, in the south by by the Northerners. And Jefferson Davis liked to bring a lot, up a lot John Quincy Adams. Um, John Quincy Adams was sent by James Madison, president at the time, to negotiate the end of the War of eighteen twelve um, at Ghent. This was uh, this was known as the Treaty of Ghent, and John Quincy. To John Quincy Adams, it was very important that private property was not destroyed. For for so many generations, um, at least according to Jefferson Davis, uh, it, private property was sacred and that the combatants of both sides wouldn't touch private property for, for many instances between civilized um, countries, civil... Um, uh, it was basically a, a rule not to touch private property. And this is what John Quincy Adams believed. And so by this, but this property question doesn't just come down to um, uh, land and livestock. It, all, it's all, it also applied to people, so I mean, slaves. Right, because slaves were property, and so when the the Northerners started to um, free the Southern slaves and turn them against their masters, uh, uh, Jefferson Davis says this is a violation of respecting property rights. Property rights should not be infringed, but he makes the case that it is the states that are the ones protecting them, because the federal government is not supposed to infringe at all. But the the how the state how how these rights are protected, how natural rights, including property rights, are protected, are from are from the states. And he brings up Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence. It talks about natural rights, but it makes no mention of, you know, the federal government or the central government uh, um, and its role in protecting rights. It's, it's, it's clear that these rights um, belonged to, um, uh, were, were the duty of the states to protect as the Declaration of Independence had said that they were free and independent states. And then later in the Treaty of Paris, free, sovereign, and independent states. And, uh, but Abraham Lincoln um, was the, the one who who changed all of that, who changed the focus of the declaration from the states to Thomas Jefferson's line 
of all men are cre created equal in the declaration and he he says this is the the principle the, the main principle behind the founding of the united states this is some um, known as the the proposition nation myth I'll, i call it a myth because that's what it was um it wasn't founded uh, the the united states Declaration of Independence was about the free and independent 13 states. And it was a secession document as well. But Abraham Lincoln completely changes the meaning of it um, to, to be about. And those words, all men are created equal. Well, it, the, the founders downplayed it. And in fact, in Connecticut, in 1818, those words, all men are created equal, were in the Constitution of Connecticut. But they still discriminated heavily against blacks. I don't think blacks were allowed to vote in 1818 in Connecticut. I think they were actually banned from entering the state. Um, but that phrase isn't isn't the most important one. Um, Abraham Lincoln flips flips the you know American Revolution on its head. He was revolutionizing the revolution because it made equality the Central American principle, not freedom and independence. Even though it it was literally called the Declaration of independence so what I was getting at before was that it was the states whose role was to protect the, the rights not not the central government when the declaration was was uh, written um, the uh, the Continental Congress wasn't really that powerful. There weren't even the Articles of Confederation. They had not even been drafted yet. They were drafted in 1777 and then ratified in 1781. Um, and then the Constitution was drafted 1787. So the the role of the central government wasn't wasn't the focus of the Declaration of Independence. It was the states and the, the free and independent states. And, but anyways, after the, um, after the war, you would, and there would be this period, this period in history, history is called Reconstruction. In, um, well, after, the, well, first after the war, not long after the war, there was um, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And I think uh, those of the assailants also tried to assassinate Andrew Johnson, but he, he managed to stay alive. And then he actually sent an order to try to arrest Jefferson Davis. And, and he tried to make it sound like the, the assailants were acting under Jefferson Davis's orders, 
even though they weren't. And Jefferson Davis talks about how he tried to escape, but uh, he didn't. He, he was he was jailed, but you know he didn't he didn't face a treason charge. They they couldn't. I mean, he 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 never got into court. Like the treason charge was dropped before they even got a chance to to go to court. Um, and like the the supreme the chief supreme court justice Chase. Uh, he there's no way he would have been able to to do that because to 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 give him a sentence for treason anyways he he knew that Chase knew that because if you look at the words of of um, Article Three Section Three of the Constitution it says against them. Referring to like to treason as treason as uh, was defined as waging war against them, them being the United States, or giving aid or comfort to their allies. But uh, Jefferson Davis doesn't really talk about his treason charge. At least I don't remember. Um, what he does talk about was the subjugation of the southern people it was divided uh, the south was divided into four quarters no four um and they were give they were um each directed by a major general at least they were supposed to it was supposed to be like per, uh temporarily under a military government until until they could have a a voting until uh, a republican form of government a uh, uh, government vo- voted for by the people but the problem was that um this uh these governments weren't exactly republican um i mean as you know in article 4 section 4 of the uh, United States Constitution, it says the United States shall guarantee all um, all states a republican form of government. However, uh, military dictatorship does not qualify as a republican form of government. And what the military did once voting was installed was strongly influence how the state constitutions were drafted and those state constitutions would would uh, make it clear that the United States government was the uh, and the United States Constitution were supreme even though it was that the founders had created a union in which the states were supreme not the U- not the central government. Um, so, not only did the military strongly influence how the state constitutions were created, were drafted, but they also strongly influenced elections. Oftentimes, they would tell um, soldiers to... Um, 
to ask the the voters to take a, the pledge of allegiance, to take a pledge of allegiance, which is which would mean that they would be first and swear allegiance to the United States central government, basically, and um, many of them couldn't. Um, or many of them just decided not to, while others would. And so, and how do I say it? Because um, of the 14th Amendment, um, with, um, they, they banned most um, Confederate soldiers, or how do I say it? Um, all of those... Confederate soldiers who voluntarily signed up and those Confederate soldiers who were conscripted, but then voluntarily supported the war, uh, the, the Confederacy would be not allowed to vote. Um, and as a, as an, as a, as an entry requirement for Congress, uh, you had to swear that you had never uh, waged war against the United States. And so many Confederate soldiers couldn't do that. And um, so the, the number of white men who, who were able to, to vote in the, the constitutional conventions, as well as uh, general elections, were outnumbered by blacks and so you can imagine the the racial tensions uh being very high because uh blacks were often were most of the time in the, the majority in the southern states uh, with regards to voting uh interestingly um women weren't allowed to vote because um even though uh, the feminist movement in the North supported this war, they, uh, the, the war of, uh, to prevent Southern independence, because that war, uh, they believe that they would have uh, an, a, a big egalitarian revolution with this war. The problem is that if women get the vote throughout the Union, then white women in the South were going to vote Democrat instead of Republican. And then they would, you know, the Democrats would be much more of a strong force um, during uh, Reconstruction. Uh, and Andrew Johnson, he, uh, Jefferson Davis, really give, gives it to Andrew Johnson saying um, that he was being unfair to the South. He was being, he was being hard on the South. And when uh, the, the Congress, the, which was controlled largely by radical Republicans, the radical Repo Republicans would, who would, um, do things against, you know, who would often overturn 
some of Andrew Johnson's vetoes, and they even impeached Andrew Johnson. Um, Jefferson Davis says, said, like, why does it even matter that they're fighting each other? They both violated the Constitution by supporting the war on the South. <clears throat> he, uh, this was written in 1781, uh, the rise and fall of the Confederates government, but he doesn't really talk so much about Grant's presidency. It was, it was towards the end, it was mostly talking about the, the time during Andrew Johnson's presidency, because that was, that was the, I guess the first, most of the first part of Reconstruction. They uh, both um, in the 1876 election, both Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel J. Tilden both promised to um, to pull the troops out of the South and, and Reconstruction. But Jefferson Davis doesn't really go that far. Um, I guess another thing to... I should to talk about was uh, George McClellan. He was mentioned a lot. He was maybe if you <laughs> if you listen to some people, I don't know. He was um, he it might not have sounded like he wanted the war, but he was in a lot of battles fighting for the Union, and then. He somehow became the Democratic nominee in 1864 to run against against Abraham Lincoln and Andrew Johnson. But uh, he's mostly mentioned as another Union general who was fighting against the South. If if McClellan, McClellan had won in 1864, I think he would have stopped the war and then he would have just pursued peace. He wouldn't have tried to conquer the South, because uh, a lot of Northern men died from the war to prevent Southern independence. So um, he was, uh, things could have turned out differently if he had become president rather than Abraham Lincoln winning the election. The, that war, well, Jefferson Davis doesn't really talk about it, but the, the election of 1864, it was really close. Um, I mean, Abraham Lincoln didn't win a majority of the vote in, of the popular vote in 1860. Well, less than 40%. And what Jefferson Davis calls a sectional majority. Because, um, you know, when democracy is... At such a wide scale, such a big scale, when because as the United States had grown, um, eventually, yeah, you have a sectional majority, in which uh, none of the southern states supported Abraham Lincoln in eighteen sixty. Uh, I know he was he wasn't even on the ballot for some of those those southern states, but. Um, it was a sectional majority. And I know Harry Jaffa, when he was debating 
Tom DiLorenzo in 2002 at the Independent Institute, he said that those 100, over 100,000 Southern soldiers who fought for the Union, they didn't have a voice. Well, I don't think that means they would have voted Republican. Many Northern Democrats supported the war. Um, and or and some Southern Whigs, they even voted for John C. Bell. I mean, John, yeah, John Bell of the Constitutional Union Party. Not, not, uh, no, neither. He, they didn't. They voted neither for the Democrats. Either, either of the Democrats, the Breckinridge, or what's his name, uh, Douglas, or and they didn't vote for the Republican Lincoln either. He actually doesn't talk too much about Hamlin, um, the Republican vice president, the first vice president under uh, Abraham Lincoln. But I'm not sure how much he ever did, if he did any tie-breaking votes. But, uh, yeah, he... Abraham Lincoln, he revolutionized the revolution. As I said before, completely changing the meaning of... The Declaration of Independence, and and installing the nationalist myth of the into the United States. I'll finish off by talking a little bit about how it relates to Canada, because um I think I've already mentioned this, but uh, Judah P. Benjamin, who was Jefferson Davis's right hand man, he served under three three rules. Um, Secretary of State, Secretary of War, and um, Attorney General. He talked about how the the Pope didn't really recognize the Confederacy. He he said that he sort of no that he 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 talked he remarked about to Jefferson Davis about how he felt like a prisoner in his own country. Um, because like at this time, uh, the Vatican was no, like the, the outer, the, the land outside Vatican was, the Vatican was being conquered. And those, those were once papal lands. Um, but Judah P. Benjamin, well, this, this isn't in the book or anything in, the rise and fall of the Confederate States, but he said this wasn't really an endorsement or a recognition of the Confederacy. Um, he taught uh, Judah P. Benjamin later went on to become a barrister in England, and he participated in the in legal disputes between the provinces and the Dominion of Canada, or well, they called it the Dominion back then, but. Uh, we call it the federal government. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I can barely find anything on the internet about Judah P. Benjamin's rule rules uh, in, in uh, those constitutional cases which were put forth in the 
the in the Privy Council, the, the, the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council, because back then the Supreme Court of Canada wasn't the highest law, highest court in the land. It was the, uh, the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council. Um, but yeah, the the war led to the Canadian Constitution, you know, the act, uh, British Act of uh, British North America Act of eighteen sixty seven, becoming more centralized and less states rights ish compared to the United States Constitution, but at least in Canada now we, we seem to be more decentralized than the United States. Um, and uh, the Supreme Court of Canada, which is part of the federal government, at least recognizes the right of secession for any province. So it's not like in Canada we're go the federal government is going to invade a province for seceding and not wanting to pay taxes like what Andrew Johnson, no, Andrew Jackson threatened and what Abraham Lincoln actually did. Uh, but yeah, I, maybe one day, uh, the South will <laughs> rise again and the, the American tradition, um, the, the principle of the American revolution, uh, secession as Timothy Pickering, the secretary of, of state of, under George Washington, and later Secretary of War under George Washington. Oh, oh, yeah, no, sorry. He was Secretary of War and Secretary of State under George Washington. And then later John Adams, he was the Secretary of State. Timothy Pickering, the leader of the... He became later the le leader of the New, New England secessionists, and his political career died at, no, at near the end of the War of 1812. Um... At, around the Hartford Convention, when people realized New England, want, the, the New England Federalists wanted to secede, but one day, the I hope the United States will come to realization that the principle of secession is is the chief principle of the American Revolution, because after all, the Declaration of Independence was a secessionist document. Thank you.